Hello and welcome to Full Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with Mark Casaglo. Uh, he is the VP of Sales for Outreach IO. Uh, Mark, how are you doing today? Good, man. How you doing, Craig? Uh, doing well. So, Mark, a lot of interest around sales uh, tools that really en enhance the sales process. Tell us a little bit about Outreach. Yeah. Outreach is a sales execution platform. The purpose of Outreach is to help people overcome the sales execution gap. What you can think about that as is um, there's the potential that you, your sales team could operate at if everything worked the way that you intended and planned. And then there's the actual where you actually end up operating at. There's a gap between those two things. Uh, a lot of companies, for example, realize that gap when their revenue growth plans don't uh, um, match up with their headcount growth plans. So there's an implied productivity gap that they need to overcome in order to hit those revenue targets. And so outreach is a technology that um, sales organizations, customer success organizations, SDR organizations can use to make their reps more productive to overcome that gap. So how are you driving productivity? What is the sort of key part of the technology or solution that's really enhancing that productivity? Yeah, it's kind of on several levels. So think about it first, Craig, is a, if you're thinking in the prospecting top of funnel area, uh, there's discipline required and consistency that leads to outcomes. Outreach's technology applies master, super experienced level of consistency, even with junior young reps. So think of a young sales hire, first time in seat. They just don't have the consistency and discipline necessarily to call somebody 23 times over the next two quarters. But our best reps are doing those sorts of things. And to get the same results, the new reps need to do those things. Outreach helps them with that discipline and consistency. The second major area is around automation. And so, you know, there's things that the machine can do now that we as people just don't need to do. Many companies, though, are still forcing the reps to do those things. And the more of those things they do, the less high value activities that they can do. So an example is, would you rather your reps write another follow-up email or would you rather them be in a meeting or planning an account plan type of situation in order to get into an account. The latter are much more higher value things than sending a follow-up email. So let's just let the machine do that because it's very capable of that. And then the last thing is, is I think in the end, what ends up happening with a lot of people is they either have great people doing all the right things, but our messaging is messing up their productivity and outcomes, or we have messaging that's great and performs, but reps that aren't using it correctly and identifying which scenario you're in so that you know how to fix it becomes really important. So those are the top of funnel things. There's also pipeline areas as we get into the, uh, the sales cycle. And then there's also some of those value props uh, after the, um, an account is a customer and you're trying to renew and expand the business. So a lot of it sounds like cadence and consistency is probably among the most important things is just staying current with the clients and, and having touch points. Is that, is that really the differentiator between a successful rep or and a non-successful rep when you guys seeing? It's one of the things. And I would say like four years ago, I would have said you, you've actually hit the bullseye, Craig. I don't know if that's the bullseye anymore. So think about it like this, like a cadence or what we call a sequence. We actually invented and hold the patent for that technology. Uh, helps you with a series of touch points or rep activities over time 
that are at an interval that are trying to accomplish something. That could be booking a meeting, getting back a security review, working through procurement, whatever it is. There's another type of system that works for closing reps. Closing reps need that kind of help, but they also need how, what are the series of steps that I need to work my way through to get this person to agree to purchase? And we call that a success plan. Some people call it a mutual action plan. So that's the sequence solution of a closing uh, job to be done or a closing role. And then you need the same sort of thing for a customer success person that's trying to renew and expand. And so um, I would say it's a little bit, it's gone much beyond uh, cadencing technology. That's kind of table stakes now. Uh, we've had to build out more value after that, but that still is a key component of our technology. Mark, a lot of automation tools have really made the sales process feel to a recipient very unpersonalized. <clears throat> feels very programmatic. You, I get inundated with hundreds, if not thousands of emails a day from suppliers of any, any technology and service that anyone could possibly mention because I'm on... As CEO and founder of the company, uh, I tend to be on a lot of lists. And uh, how does a rep differentiate? How do they sort of avoid the noise and get through all that when I am naturally trying to filter uh, away from any of those inbounds? How do, you, how do you really find success in today's automated environment? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a triangulation of what does a customer need? Do I hit them at the right time in the right channel with the right message? And so listen, there's a lot of people that's like, oh, well, it feels canned. I can feel it's automated. Do you know what? People don't respond to the, the email that it took you three hours to create either. All right. So there's some myths about what people respond and don't respond to. Craig, I'm, I almost guarantee you, I could send you a completely automated message. But if you were talking about a specific topic that was related to that, and the messaging connected to you to that topic doesn't matter if it's personalized or not. It doesn't matter if the machine meant it, meant it or not. And that's why consistency is the key, is I need to catch you in a frame of mind where you're thinking about the value prop I'm talking about and then have a proven way to discuss that value prop that creates interest or demand, and then you'll reply. It's pretty much that, it's, it's that simple, but we kind of try to overcomplicate it and think that there's some kind of silver bullet out there. If I just personalize it the right way, Craig will hear me. Listen, you know what silver bullets kill, Craig? Werewolves. And most of us ain't out here shoot, trying to kill werewolves. There's just regular old monsters all over the place that we got to kill. Regular old bullets do fine. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I think about the times I have bought software. A lot of times it's just I have a problem and I'm not thinking, I'm like, I need to go solve this. And I don't go through and look at my emails and sort of dig through them to find it. Because oftentimes, I, if I don't recognize that I have that issue, I'm not even paying attention to the companies that are sending me these inbounds. But there have been situations where I know I have a problem and it's almost serendipitous, even though it's not, because I've been getting emails from these reps for weeks and months and potential years. It just so happens that it shows up in my inbox and guess who gets the next deal is the person who reached out at the time when I knew I had an issue and I was able to buy. Yeah. I mean, we have examples of reps calling, emailing, LinkedIn touches, 253 activities against a prospect before they finally pay attention and book the meeting. Is it because all of our messaging stunk up till then? No. Is it because we were in the wrong channel the whole time? No. It's just because our value proposition didn't register, didn't like cause uh, something to happen in that person's brain at a time when their brain was thinking about those things. And, you know, listen, there's, 
you, our job is to create demand as sellers too. So sometimes you hit somebody with something that they aren't thinking about that creates enough interest, but that's a really hard row to hoe. I think that an easier way to think about it is I need to make sure that I am consistently talking and getting in, in front of people so that when they are thinking about what I'm talking about, I am there. Mark, we, we, in terms of sort of batting average, uh, generally, what is a rep, not in terms of the amount of emails they send, but after they get the, the product uh, demo or first touch, what is generally the rule of thumb? Is there an optimal? Does it depend on the product? Do you, you sort of track that data in terms of, of sort of demo or, or first touch to close? Uh, I mean, we monitor that in here. So we we have a, we call our first meeting an initial meeting. If that initial meeting goes well, and we have five criteria that define if it goes well, it becomes what we call sales accepted lead. And then we measure win rates from the creation of the IM or initial meeting to close. And we also monitor the win rates from SAL or that meeting's been accepted to close. Um, I think there are, there are benchmarks. I do know what they are. I think it's super dangerous to talk about, Craig, because if you have like a very highly transactional business or a very complex enterprise level, sophisticated sales process, like the numbers don't mean anything. And it's not fair, I think, to look at all those different uh, types of industries and products and like combine their number into one number. That just seems like, you know, I combine peanut butter, jelly, mayonnaise and ham together. Like, Individually, I can make good sandwiches of them all. All of them together make a disgusting thing. Yeah, I mean, it, you think about every product's different. Every size of deal is different. Uh, buyer need is different. Uh, it's just, I, I imagine just, it varies based on a lot of different dynamics and companies. I'm curious, though, when someone goes out and implements your solution, what, does, what do you typically see in terms of improved close rate improve sales cycle time? What is the metric that defines success of one of your customers in using outreach? So again, we shy away from benchmarks. This is what defines success. Craig, I'm sure right now as a CEO and founder that you've entered a meeting room or a Zoom room in the last two to three weeks and said, guys, we have to solve this problem. This problem is getting the business in trouble, or you've been given a report that makes you think we got to solve this. The way that we measure success is we identify what that thing is that has large business impact. We help drill it down to a single metric that lets us know if we're doing well or not. And then we monitor how we're improving or not that metric. And if we help them hit their goal, then we've done what we need to do and we move on to another problem and, and we keep expanding out in that manner. So like we don't say like we improve your win rates this, we improve your reply rates this. That, that's kind of like meaningless. What, what's important is, is, hey, you know, you have a pipeline gen problem. You missed pipe gen by $50 million last quarter. You need to close that gap this quarter. Well, outreach helped you do it. So we did what we were supposed to do for that, which another company might not have pipe gen problems. So yeah, every company's got different issues. I'm curious, as you think about work from anywhere post-COVID, environment and what's happening in the economy. Are you finding that companies are investing more in technology today for sales automation and optimization than they were in the past? Or is it, or is just a continuum sort of a trend that has always been there and is just continuing to accelerate? Have we seen a breakout moment in 
sales technology because companies have realized that they no longer sort of have that touch and feel with their reps inside of a sales office and really need to invest in technology to drive the processes? I think the answer is yes. I think the other thing that's happening, Craig, is there are a few early adopters that are starting to have real competitive advantages that the market is seeing. Like, let me give you an example. We have a value consulting group that does amazing analysis across cohorts of our customers and their peers that are not our customers that are publicly traded companies that have lots of data that we can look at. On average, our customers are growing 11.5% faster than their peers who are not our customers. And so I think that that kind of results in an enterprise setting really speak volumes of maybe we need to move in this area too. So I think that that's kind of what's happening. The, the early adopters are creating that vacuum as they scoop up more and more customers and their competitors are starting to say, there, there's something going on there that we're not doing and sales technology is honestly like probably one of the fastest accelerants to revenue growth right now that a company can do. Because the old stuff, Craig, ain't working. More products, charge more, send more emails. That crap don't work anymore, right? You got to do something different. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. Uh, we did a, a similar analysis for our own product and found that companies that, because again, we benchmarked to public companies. And we only looked at the public companies that had our SaaS solution. And we found a high correlation of outperformance in revenue, outperformance in earnings, were the ones that had it versus didn't. Now, it is easy for us to sort of parade that around and say, oh, we're great. It's our product that's driving that. We'd like to think that's the case. And certainly there's evidence to support it. It also suggests that there may be a bigger trend that companies that are in making the types of investments around data for us, for data and analytics, just naturally are going to outperform those that don't. And I imagine for you guys, it's a very similar outcome is that there is a difference between companies that are making investments generally in sales automation and optimization and companies that don't, regardless of the solutions. Yeah, well, listen, it's a... Uh... We probably both have to untangle the same plate of spaghetti. You know, no company is just buying sales technology. They're also getting new managers. They're also creating a new product. They're also looking at their pricing and packaging. They also brought in a sales trainer. Like there's a lot of things that people are using to solve the problem. I think what's important for people that sell technology like we do, is we have to be very specific about what our contribution to that overall outcome is by showing it in, in a very easy to understand data way. And so I think that that's kind of the holding on us since we talk about all the data we create and all the data we use, we need to make also make sure that we have the data inside our product that shows that we're bringing value. And it's, it's, always, a, it's always a multitude of things working together that helps create an outcome, but like our part of it should be known. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, Mark I, where are you guys based? Where's headquarters? Seattle. And are you, are, do you live in Seattle? I lived in Seattle for two years and then I moved back to Pennsylvania during the pandemic. And are you planning to move back to Seattle or are you now uh, in Pennsylvania? This is the new home. Well, P Pennsylvania is where I'm from. It's where my wife's family from. We moved back here uh, to be with family. But um, honestly, we cannot deal with the winters here anymore. We have decided it's enough. So we're trying to figure out what plan B is. But I got a, a sixth grader uh, that we're probably going to wait out for a few more months. <laughs> that makes sense. I, you know, Tennessee's great. Uh, good weather. Uh, <laughs> no state income tax. So we'd, we'd love to see uh, great SaaS executives in the state of Tennessee. So it's, where, uh, where are you at in Tennessee? Chattanooga, Tennessee. 
Yeah, so I grew up in Cleveland. You grew up in Cleveland? Yeah, wow. yeah. Where did you go to school? I went to North Lee Elementary, uh, and then I went. Then I moved to Pennsylvania, or uh, not Pennsylvania, Mississippi for high school. Got it. Are you is is Tennessee, Southeast Tennessee, on your list? It is not on the list. Okay, so <laughs> I still have family there. We we love to if you get if you decide to add it to the list, we'd love to host you. I I am curious in this environment where what are you guys seeing in terms of sort of the trends just in your client base and certainly your own organization. Do you think that we are permanently work from anywhere? Has society shifted so much towards people can work and live anywhere that you just can't put it all back in the box? Um. So I'm in sales and I've, I never worked in an office until I moved to Seattle. So sales kind of in some ways has always been a little bit more remote. But this is what I think is I think that some companies innately believe that an office-based culture is an advantage for them. Some people believe that they can get better talent if they're more flexible with where people work, and that's an advantage for them. And it's just, I don't know what the data says. I don't know which answer is right. I just know that people seem to really be violently on one side or the other. Uh, me, you know, I've, I've now that I've had been in an office, now that I've worked by myself, I, I don't think that there's a difference if you just hire good, hardworking, smart people. Those kind of people are everywhere. If you attract them, you do a good job supporting them, making sure they feel appreciated and connected. Like you, you've got everything that you need to make it work. I don't, I don't think it matters, to be honest with you. Yeah, it is interesting. And there is a lot of strong opinions either way. I think it depends on the organization. Is there a, is there a correlation or do you see certain industries where it's in office versus out of office or work from anywhere? Does it skew in terms of certain types of industries? Oh, I think in technology that there is a little bit more forward thinking, employee first mentality that in some ways favors a remote working environment. And because we're technology based, we're comfortable using technology to stay connected. I think more traditional companies are more interested in having their people a little bit more under the thumb, a little bit more, you know, controllable in an office situation. Uh, helps um, with that kind of an environment. Um, again, some work for some people, others don't. Uh, at Outreach, I think that we believe that an office environment is an advantage to us, but we also understand the need of our employees to be where they can be most productive. And so we have kind of a blended approach. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, Mark, I really appreciate the conversation. How do folks learn more? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. That's uh, I post every day. I, about 8 million views on my content last year. So I do a lot of thought leadership around sales. And right now I'm in the middle of a, a nerdily deep uh, uh, analysis of how to do discovery calls correctly. I'm four weeks in. Any, any early learnings that uh, the audience can take away? I would say my number one learning of all my posting is this. I don't think that most sales reps accurately assess their own capabilities. Because if the number of people that respond to my content, that they do the things that I suggest, if they actually did them, we'd have a lot more successful salespeople. And my personal experience on sales calls is 90% of sales calls are sales calls that are not beneficial for me as a buyer. Uh, and I have to either take over the call, redirect it, you know, figure out what I need to on my own or afterwards. And uh, that, that's to me, uh, hopefully not the sales experience that we're providing at Outreach. Is it just questions that they're not asking or they're properly uh, evaluating the client or 
Let me give you an example. So I hopped on with one of the biggest technology tech companies in the world. They're renowned supposedly for their sales acumen. And I get on and it's a discovery call and it's one hour with a little demo tag at the end. So Craig, if you had a, one of your reps on doing a discovery call with an executive for an hour, how long from the beginning of the phone call to your first question? I mean, generally, at least I, when I was trained in sales, it, you, you do questions very early in the process. Yeah. That's like classic one of the Xerox sales method, get into the questions uh, as soon as possible. I, I wasn't asked a question for 20 minutes. What I got was a pitch on why this product was awesome and all the objections that they thought I'd have because they get all the time and why they shouldn't be objections. And then we finally got into it. And then when we told them specifically what we wanted to see in the product, I'm not joking. They were scrolling through the thing. They got to the thing we specifically asked to see. They didn't even address it. They just scrolled right past it and kept going. And that's what I'm talking about. They come in with a preconceived notion of what they need to do and what, what needs to happen. That's because they haven't been taught a framework that lets them be flexible in the moment to work with the customer, to get the customer what they need, but not feel off track and off script. And so I think that that's, what, that's the main thing is people provide enablement that isn't flexible enough or effective enough and reps just end up doing what they think that they need to do versus working inside a flexible framework that leads them where the customer wants to go. And they're just talking to customers versus listening, which is sort of 101 sales stuff that you hopefully learn earlier in your process, but we often forget. Yeah. Well, you know, there's people, there's more emphasis on discovery now, which is interesting to me why it's getting worse. And the new thing is we need, here's discovery questions you should ask, which I think it in theory works. But or what if I ask you a question and you give me an answer that I'm not expecting? What if you what if you ask me back a question that isn't on my list? What am I going to do? I'm going to run back to the list immediately rather than exploring that vein that the customer has said there might be gold here. And so that's what I train my reps to do is there's a very easy framework that you can teach reps that it doesn't matter how you answer. If I said, hey, Craig, what ERP are you using? And you're like, oh, man, I don't even use ERP. I just use turkeys back in the thing and whatever they scratch out of the corn, that's what we put into the accounting system, I'm telling you, I can take that answer and move it into a pain over a few questions that allows me to understand how to win a deal. I mean, if it was turkeys, it would be fairly easy to find a lot of pain, I imagine. Well, aren't all financial people turkeys anyway? So. Something like that. <laughs> they, they, might, uh, they might enjoy that. Well, Mark, really appreciate your time today. Uh, I look forward to seeing your LinkedIn post and uh, you can find out more about outreach, as well as connect with Mark on great sales techniques. I appreciate you coming on uh, today. Thanks for having me.